Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrapped SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. And hi, I'm Rick. I'm the founder of Leg Up Ventures, which owns and operates software companies that empower underdogs. This week, we're going to talk about industry-specific marketing. At Less Annoying CRM, we made the decision that we're going to try to run a marketing campaign targeted at a specific industry instead of what we've done in the past, which is sell to all small businesses at the same time. And I'm going to kind of pick Rick's brain to see what he has to say about uh, do's and don'ts, things to consider, and best practices when building this industry-specific marketing campaign. But first, let's give some updates on what we've been up to. So uh, yeah, Rick, what's been going on? Well, David and I decided to slow down at Group Current, which was kind of a big development since last week. We we realized that we were getting really focused about growing the business before we had really nailed it with Panda Labs. Mm-hmm. And we were getting pretty unfocused in terms of how we were spending our time. So Panda Labs is doing really, really well, but we're not even at a year. Our contract goes through June. We're not even through a year with them yet. And we haven't gotten over that sustainability hump yet, which is probably more important. So we basically decided, let's stop frying our brains, worrying about getting other customers, developing products, figuring out how to implement software tools. Let's just go nail Panda Labs. And Mm -hmm. since we made that decision, everything's become more clear. We're do, we're already doing a better job of serving them, and I think we're going to make a lot of progress over the next couple of months. Awesome! So that sounds great. I feel like some of the best moments in my career have been deciding to like to not do something that was really getting in the way of what you should have actually been doing. So yeah, yeah. So it was hard to get. I think there's some conflict with a lot of these types of decisions. There's usually some conflict that has to happen in order to get there. So and we handled it. I thought we had really healthy conflict, um, which was good from a partnership standpoint. Um, but it took a little bit of conflict at the client level to help us see that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, that should have, I think, I wish we could have avoided, um, because it's not the perfect, you know, solution yet. Mm-hmm. But, uh, anyway, um, we feel really good about the direction and I can't wait to see what happens. The other thing I have going on is, this feels like a big milestone, but it really, I just got off the phone with a old partner at Zane Benefits Days and he ran, he was one of the call centers slash online brokers that we tried to outsource insurance advice to at Zane Benefits, referring our users to him. And I just wanted to get his take on what I was doing. One of the, one of the questions I asked him was, why isn't anyone doing what I'm setting out to do with leg up health? Mm-hmm. Either I am ahead of people or this is a really bad idea. I'm going to waste a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So he said he, what he harped on was this system is freaking complicated. That's the number one reason why people aren't doing it. By this system, you just mean being an insurance agent, basically being an insurance agent in the Affordable Care Act with subsidies, which now brings in taxes, with with the new rules, with the change, with state insurance regulations, with licensing requirements, with federal certifications. It's just complicated. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge roadblock. So that's the context I want to provide because all I really did was secure a few contracts this past couple of weeks, but it feels like a huge milestone because I'm now appointed we're on track to be appointed with every carrier by March 10th, which means I can start producing revenue as early as April 1st. So for the first time at Leg Up Health, I have a clear pathway to revenue. Awesome. Congrats. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it doesn't just feel like a big milestone, like it it is. Especially in an industry where I know we like to think the software and the product and things like that matter, but you're going into an industry where there's this big moat. You could argue, is it good or bad? But even if it's bad, it doesn't matter. It's there. And you had to get over that moat and you got over it. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a big milestone, but I think it is. You think it is too. Uh, there was a time in our past where you and I wanted to start a business together. And the thing that killed it was this step, 
if you recall, right? We didn't have a licensed insurance broker to, to do that part of the business for us. And so we quit the whole thing. So yeah, I'd say that's a big step. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to get my mind around that. For some reason, I'm having trouble celebrating. I don't know. Like, it doesn't feel like something to jump up and down on and like pat myself on the back, but I'm trying to force myself. I'm telling you about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, like especially in the early days, hopefully you're hitting milestones all the time and the reaction is it's good to, it's good to celebrate, but then, you know, get back to it and and keep pushing forward. It's not by itself. It's not, it's necessary, but not sufficient. Right. Yep. Yep. I want to shout out. um, There's a company here in salt, in Utah, not in Salt Lake, but a little bit south of Salt Lake that really helped me with this. And they're one of those traditional general agencies. And I partnered with them and they've ta- they've made my life so much easier. Yeah. Are you, you going to say their name? Um, Health First Insurance. Those guys, um, it's a guy named Brandon. Oh my gosh. And I'm blanking on his partner's name right now. But Brandon's the guy I've been dealing with, but um, they they were really cool to me and, and helped me get comfortable with partnering with them and trusting them. And man, it's paid off. Like we, I'm moving faster than I moved. They helped me move so much faster than I would have on my own. Yeah. Cool. So I don't feel like I'm alone on this anymore. I got partners. Yeah. That's awesome. So, so like if you go out and sell insurance policies, they get some cut of it or something. Yeah. So they get a, on top of what I would have earned if I had gone directly, the insurance companies provide an extra couple of dollars for them to be the go-between between between me and the insurance companies so that uh, I don't have to do that and the the insurance company doesn't have to do that. Yeah, makes sense. Um, And then I'm, you know, this, I'm actually leaving out of town, heading out of town early tomorrow, which is kind of, I'm looking forward to, and we're hosting, Sable and I are hosting some friends over at Bear Lake um, for the weekend. So I'm looking forward to that. Nice. Is that like, I mean, it's winter. Is that like a skiing type of thing? You're not going doing lake activities, I assume. Yeah, it's the, the lake is freezing cold. They do do a, what's called the polar plunge. So if you want to, you can skin down and jump in and show your manliness. Uh, I, I, I don't plan to do that. Uh, we, we do snowshoeing, uh, sledding. So there's a lot of ski, like well, there's a ski resort right, ne- right next to the lake called Beaver Mountain. They call, they call it uh, Ski the Beave. Their slogan is they, they have a restaurant and the slogan for the restaurant is eat the beef. That's probably yeah, inappropriate really, for really driving that one home, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but it's funny. I have a shirt that says, said that says that, um, is that, is that bad? Is that, am I supposed to say that on the podcast? I mean, we mark every episode as explicit content cause I think one of us curses every episode. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, I bought a shirt and it drives Sable's mom crazy. <laughs> I can imagine that. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. What, what about you? Uh, a lot going on this week. I just finished. This is like a very minor part of it, but I just finished it. So I, it's on my mind. Have, have you ever had the government, the Census Bureau send you like a form you have to fill out for business stuff? Like normal, every person has to fill out the census, but I'm talking like a business has to say like, what was your revenue and stuff like that? I know that we probably did in the early days of Zane benefits. Cause like the last one was 2007, wasn't it? Well, they do these all the time. I've, I've yeah. gotten a bunch of these yeah. at this point. The, I, I never had to deal with these. I maybe got a couple of questions to clear, like confirm the answers to, but I never had to be the one reading through the request or responding to it. Uh, it's the worst. Cause like they ask these questions and the, they define terms in a way. So this one was specifically about R and D uh, like research and development. And they have this definition for what it is. And I'm reading it. And I'm like, oh, a big chunk of what we do is R&D. And then at the bottom, it's like, exclude it. Uh, it doesn't count if you're working on an existing software product. It's like, what? Why doesn't that count? But then there's another question that's like, did you submit uh, this tax credit for R&D? And so I did, because what we do is R&D. But according to this other definition, it's not. So I don't know what they use this information for, but it look like it looks like we don't do R and D, but we submitted this tax credit. I don't know. I, I hate this stuff. Yeah. The the questions are often worded in a way that it creates gray area and it's so anxiety inducing as a founder or as a, a executive at a company that you, where you're responsible for this stuff because you feel like you're lo- like 
you're setting yourselves up to be caught lying when in reality, mm-hmm. like you need to go back to run your business and answer the freaking question because this is not even worth your time anymore. Yeah. Now the good part of it, I got the form. They estimate how long it takes to fill it out, and they were like three point three hours. And I was like, <laughs> Jesus Christ! I do not is want it to spend three. Yeah, it's required. I mean, they. I, I'm sure they don't enforce it. I'm sure if I didn't fill it out, nothing would happen. But I want to be a good citizen, and I respect the goal of the census. But anyway, because we like according to their definition, don't do any R and D. It like eliminated. 70% of the questions they're like well none of those apply so it took it didn't take me anywhere near that long but but it's uh, made, but it's also made you feel anxious about your R&D credit mm-hmm. yeah I'm, I'm like I don't have no idea if this is the type of thing that would cause them to audit probably not it's got nothing to do with the IRS but I feel very good that we're submitting the R&D tax credit legitimately and if we got audited it would be fine but I'm also like I'm submitting data to the census thing that looks like if I were on the other end of it I'd be like go audit that company <laughs> this this uh this company is doing something fishy yeah so anyway i just finished that up um but no a lot of actually important stuff has been going on so before you go week, into that i just remembered yeah. something really important uh-huh i booked my uh, sable nice sable my flight and uh hotel for your wedding oh nice yeah which hotel are you staying at marriott marriott is that not where you're staying i mean i'm staying in my apartment oh that's true I live right there. Well, so. you said that in a way that made me feel like I made the wrong decision. Well, last time you came into town, you stayed at the Embassy Suites on my recommendation and said it was like a crap hole. So uh, <laughs> I was just wondering if you were going back there. No, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> was that other, was that one of the options? Yeah, we got two hotel blocks, one Marriott and one Embassy Suites. But yeah, I I, I'm fine with the Embassy Suites. You've got higher standards for hotels than I do, I guess. Yeah, no comment. Okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, that's cool. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, You were going to say something. Um, Yeah. So Bracken, my brother slash co-founder, was in town last week. He he flies in maybe three times a year from Boston. um, And it's always kind of a fun week because he's meeting with various people. And we we had a company party, which we timed with him being here. One of the big things is we block off a whole day every time he's in town to do what we call like a partner meeting. So there's four partners at the business that, for all intents and purposes, can be thought of as co-founders um and we just kind of talk like over let's say there's four months between these meetings a lot of various topics pile up and then we kind of talk about them all that day it's almost like a board meeting in a lot of ways i think so anyway went over a lot of that stuff which i can dive into a little bit and then i take all that and give a company presentation so i gave a whole presentation to the company yesterday and then now i have one-on-one meetings at which we talked about a couple episodes ago uh I've done three of them so far, but I've got all day tomorrow and then some next week having one-on-ones with everyone at the company. So there's a lot of kind of take picking your head up and doing more high-level thinking going on right now. Cool. Are you learning anything from the one-on-ones? Uh, yeah, I've only had a few so far. Um, but to the, the, the point of the podcast episode two weeks ago was like, how should I run them? What I ended up doing is pretty similar to what I was already doing, but I, I sent a couple questions out. One was like pick from one of these positive themed questions. So an example is, what do you think your superpower is and how could we like take advantage of that better? Like questions that make people feel good. And then the other one was negative questions like, what's your least favorite part of the job and what what should we be doing to reduce that? Or uh, what do you think we could do to, you know, improve blah, blah, blah. So I've got to talk to a lot more people, but just asking those questions, good stuff comes out of every single meeting, I think. Um, but yeah, a couple like things we talked about in the partner meeting that maybe are worth mentioning. Uh, one is we started trying to think about how CRM coaches, which are our like customer service people, just, uh, I don't like getting them more efficient is a way to describe it. That makes it sound like we're trying to turn it into a sweatshop. That's not the point. The point is like they like their job and our customers receive the most value. If every unit of work they're doing is helpful. Right. Nobody likes it when a customer service person engages in a non-helpful transaction. So how do we take the non-helpful ones and like automate those away and then get them to really be able to focus their time on the stuff that actually has an impact? So we're we had a lot of different ideas, but right now we're playing around with ways to help them prioritize stuff better. Uh, apparently, a lot of time was being spent deciding you come in in the morning, there's like 40 emails waiting. Which one do you answer first was a question that was kind of stressing people out. 
So we're taking some new approaches there, which I'm excited about. I think it's one of these things where in a lot of cases, doing the wrong thing quickly is better than doing the right thing slowly. So part of what we're doing is just like, don't worry about if you pick the right one, take the one at the top of the list, who cares? So yeah, just simplifying decision-making frameworks to maximize time for the helpful stuff versus make the right, the perfect decision for low impact stuff. Yeah, exactly. So we have one one person who's called the monarch. So let's say four people are on support at a time. One of them's the monarch, and it's the monarch's job to look through everything and prioritize. They just put it in buckets, and then we just have a system now that's like take the top thing in the bucket. Don't before people were within a bucket, they were prioritizing, and it's like it doesn't really matter which one you take. Um, cool. So anyway, it's minor, so they, but are these buckets up. per person or are they team based? Team based. We try to have continuity within a conversation. So if a customer is going back and forth with one CRM coach, we try to make sure it, that that's the person who stays in the conversation. That's still something that's handled a little ad hoc. It's just use your best judgment about should you assign this to someone else or not. But for new things coming in, it's definitely just t- you know a bucket for the whole team. A queue. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Do I think we're... It? Yeah, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, I think we're also we're we're eyeing the possibility of switching to a help desk, like a real help desk. We we right now we use like a shared email inbox, but it's not quite a full help desk. So our ability to prioritize stuff is limited. Um, so if anyone out there has a suggestion for a help desk, I'm I'm all ears. Yeah. So I, that's actually the exact question I was going to ask you. Are you using Front for shared inbox? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So they they stop at help desk, Zendesk. The three that I, I like I Zendesk, are man. Zendesk. I don't like that one. That's my least favorite. Okay. Um, Help Scout and uh, Intercom. Okay. Intercom is not traditional help desk, but I just love their experience. Um, and I yeah. love the way that they think about conversations as the core. Um, for, for my purposes, I'm going to be using Help, help Scout at, uh, what do you call it? Um, Leg of Health because it's typical yeah. client. Intercom mm. is not. So so yeah, I know for sure I'm not using Intercom. Partially they don't do what we need and partially I I hate their their pricing is everything that's wrong with the world and I refuse to give them a dime. Um everyone Help Scout's definitely what I hear about. That was the top of my list, but it's it's not clear to me why everyone every podcast I listen to, everyone I follow on Twitter, they all use Help Scout. I I don't know why. Do you, do you have a sense of that? Is it just a good user experience? Um I think they're pretty focused. So they've written, I know that they've been working on this a long time and they're pretty laser focused. Whereas Zendesk has tried to become everything. Intercom has tried to become everything. And then some of the pricing I think is a big difference. Like help scouts substantially less expensive than Zendesk. And I believe, uh, their pricing model doesn't scale like Intercom does in terms of like aligning to the, va- like sucking every piece of value that they deliver. So right. I think it's just it's like just from a found, user, yeah. yeah, for an early startup, I think Help Scouts, from a help desk standpoint, is probably the best bang for your buck, and they've done a really good job of being the experts in that space. Cool. Yeah, that's definitely top of the list right now. So that's one thing. Um, uh, sorry, I'm taking up so much time here, but another thing is we're doing a little experiment where we're going to uh, we're we're in a co-located company. We long ago, I think our very first episode ever, we talked about remote work. And basically what we said is you can only be all, you should probably either be all remote or all in person because it's hard to split the culture. What's un, what, what the theory we had in the partner meeting was, can you switch back and forth? So it needs to be all or nothing, but does it have to stay the same thing? So what we're going to do is at the end of the year, from the week of Thanksgiving through the first week in January, we're just going to go fully remote and say, like, what happens? It might be a disaster. We'll see, but it'll be fun to see all the culture will move online and I don't know what impact will that have on things. I'm wondering why you're doing that. A variety of reasons. Um, one is I, so I selfishly wanted to, my parents are getting a Airbnb in Albuquerque and where my grandparents live. And I want to spend some time there while also going on a trip and going to see Shelly's family. So it worked for me. Yeah. So another reason is uh, to try and create a sense of seasonality. So the same way people like seasons and the weather, um, just because it it signifies change, it's new. Or a, a good example, I hated school, but I always loved my first day back. 
because you're bored with summer and it's, it's fun to kind of have the change of scenery. We've kind of been thinking, are there things we could do to just like mix things up temporarily? Maybe it, it'll never happen again. It may just be a one-time thing, but over the course of a person's professional life, the more of these you have, I think the, the more time will, you'll appreciate the time you have at the company. That's part of the theory. Interesting. Yeah. Like it's almost like you want to make it so that it never becomes the daily routine grind mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. want it to feel new and fresh and you almost create that, uh, dis- that distance apart makes the heart go- grow fonder mm-hmm. type feeling. Exactly. Yeah. We think we're going to have a big party the, the day everyone gets back and, uh, yeah, absolutely. It's it's the type of thing where when you're a kid, your your life has these cycles and you're always you're going to the next grade and then you're going to the next school. And when you're an adult, you you know, it, potentially you graduate, you go get a job and nothing ever changes until you retire. So creating that change, I don't know, we'll see how it goes, but I think it could be fun. I'm interested in how this experiment goes. I think um I'm really interested for leg up health because I'm I'm leaning towards uh, remote first, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I'm like, man, I don't, I don't have a ton of confidence around it, but maybe seasonality, seasonality based remote work or seasonality based co-location could work for leg up health and be a huge differentiator for, you know, employment pur- purposes. Yeah. Well, two things on that. First of all, it's funny because every remote first company has this, they just don't think of it this way, which is they temporarily go co-located for like company retreats. Mm. This is a retreat, but a, a, a remote retreat, sort of. Um, the other thing I will say, the downside to this, if you're if you're trying to decide, do you want to go fully remote or not? We don't get a lot of the benefits of remote work here. And the main one, when you hear people who love remote work, is being able to hire people anywhere in the world. We're still constrained to only hire people who spend most of their time in St. Louis. So it doesn't really help with that at all. It's more just about a little perk to hopefully make people enjoy their lives a little more. Yeah, that's a good point. But anyway, and then um, the the final thing here, which can just lead into the the deep dive for today, is we have two big marketing pushes that we're starting. One is an affiliate thing, which we talked about last week a little bit in the kind of intro part. Um, and then the other one is kind of the topic for today. So cool if we just dive into that. That'd be great. Great. So one of the things we've struggled with, Less Knowing CRM, has struggled with is the market, the part of marketing that is above someone signing up for a free trial in the funnel. So once someone signs up for a free trial, everything looks good. We've got a uh, high trial to paid conversion. We've got a pretty good drip campaign. I think our customers are really happy. Our churn is low. We suspect our word of mouth is pretty strong. That's all marketing and it's good. Um, we've never really been good at getting new people to find out about us and to be interested in trying us out. Uh, I suspect there's probably a lot that goes into why we've struggled with that, but I suspect that one of the reasons is that we've been, we we haven't really had a focus on who we're selling to, which has made marketing really hard. It's made positioning hard. We've always just said we're for small businesses. Less Annoying CRM is a simple CRM for small businesses. Once someone's on our site looking at us, that's fine positioning. But it's really hard to go out and market to people if we don't have a better sense of who are we selling to and what are we, what value are we providing them. So what we're toying with for this year is trying to pick an industry. It's looking like it's going to be the travel industry, like travel agents and things like that. But honestly, it could be any industry. Um, and just say, what if we honed our messaging specifically for them? What if we went to their trade shows? What if we made an ad campaign for them? What if our product strategy for the year not, we're not going to pivot away from being a general purpose CRM, but what if we prioritized features that that industry really needs and built workflows that would work well for them? Would we have a, an easier time kind of capturing that market in a better way than we have just like randomly trying to kind of scattershot everybody? So that's basically the premise here. We're, we already decided we're going to do it, and I'm interested in just talking through what should we do? Are there pitfalls I should avoid? Having you challenge aspects of this if you'd like to. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say, um, I, th- I think this is, I mean, this is the decision, this would be the direction I would go if it was my business. So this is good. 
um, focus, I think focus, focusing on segments, however you define them, industry is one way to define them is the strategy here. Go ahead. Yeah. Let me, let's stop there. Cause this yeah. is something I thought about. There's different ways to segment industry is obvious to me. Does, does anything else come to mind to you as a way to segment our customer base? Gosh, it's hard to just throw things out because I'd want to see the data. It's I would I would look for commonalities. So you mm-hmm. you probably have these great customers who are the perfect customers going through your free trial. You know, they, 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 you just said that there were a lot of great conversion rates and retention rates and usage rates for your your existing customers. I'd look for groups of those of commonalities and. That that would tell me the answer to this question. So it could be, it could be industry, it could be, you know, region, um, state, mm-hmm. MSA, city, something like that. Um, it could be uh, some sort of role uh, within a large organization. So title. Um, it might be this is getting into stuff that's harder to get, but it might be uh, you know age. Like maybe it's a young a young type of person versus an old type of person, or maybe it's an older type of person versus a young type of person. Um, uh, the other thing, uh, the other thing is uh, affiliations. So for example, one thing that we were starting to do as I was leaving people keep was ask who a customer's CPA was, ask who their payroll company was, and then identifying, oh, the, a lot of these companies use the same accountant. Let's go talk to that accountant. And mm. you know maybe that's a, a segment clients of that accountant. Um, so you could look at affiliations like associations um, or service providers that have commonalities and then use that as a segment. Those are the ones that come to mind right away. Okay. Yeah, that's helpful. S- to me, some of those stand out as... The, the ones that I like there in particular, not necessarily for us, but just generically, are ones where that segment goes somewhere, like they gather somewhere. So for example, an age group, it might be nice to know, oh, older people or younger people like us, but it's not like all young people go and hang out at a trade show or something. Industries do, probably you mentioned what's someone's position at a bigger company. That's one where probably there are ways to identify people based on that. So. I'm still feeling good about industry after what you just listed, but if if I were maybe more generically to pull back, I'd want to say like what I'm most excited about with this this push is whatever we pick, it doesn't matter if it's a travel agents or whatever, we can say they go to trade shows, they have newsletters, they have podcasts, and that's where we need to be. Yeah, totally. So let's take a step back and talk about why we both agree that this is the right way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, when you're boiling the ocean like you've been. It's very difficult to create any sort of uh, second level uh, or economies of like kind of, I don't know what the right word is, but basically creating a a sense of things getting easier, momentum as you grow. I have the language for this because I I just included this in the presentation. Uh, A lot of people use the term S-curve. And if you Google this, there are graphics, but imagine a curve where at the beginning, the slope is very shallow, and then it gets steeper, and then it gets shallow again. The idea is when you first enter a market, it's very hard to get each new customer because you're starting from scratch. No one's ever heard of you before, and you normally need multiple touches before someone will buy. Then as you get more and more touches and more brand recognition and stuff like that, it gets easier and easier and easier to buy until at some point you've kind of saturated the market, and then it gets harder again because there's just not no one left to sell to. Exactly. You don't, when you're boiling the ocean, you don't benefit from brand momentum, awareness, and that word of mouth, natural word of mouth that happens. Um, you've done that probably by accident a couple of times, but you don't know where it is and you don't know where you, you don't have levers you could pull that say, let, you know, let's go make that even more impactful than it is. So the strategy, and this is, I mean, the, the credit I give to this mostly is usually is a book called uh, Crossing the Chasm by what's that guy's name? Yeah, I know the book, but I, I yeah, forget who's that guy. It. You know, he's got a. He, that's a very dense book about the strategy of attacking a market this way, and he basically the, the idea is think of a a bowling uh, a bowling uh, what do you call it a lane uh, with pins ten ten pins. If you if you can break 
your macro market into some micro segments that have the bit, like if you can go get that smaller segment that once you get a percentage of that smaller second, it gets progressively easier. You get that S curve mm -hmm. to, uh, to acquire customers in let easier, less expensive, uh, faster then you ideally pick a segment first that, uh, leads to making it easier to enter, a, you know, similarly adjacent seg segments that you can transfer momentum to like a pin hitting another pin. Um, so when you think about you kind of asked what is you know debating whether travel agents are the right industry with what's the right segment the right segment is a segment one that you already have some momentum in mm -hmm. um two a segment that you feel pretty confident that you can create some uh multipliers uh an s curve in and 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 benefit from some sort of word of mouth brand awareness and then Ideally, it should lead to some momentum in adjacent uh, two, two or three adjacent target segments. That as you start knocking that first market segment down, you're naturally going to be entering into the next few segments. Yeah, and I've been thinking about that that last point. How do you how do you build that momentum? Tell me if you agree with this. I see two ways that can happen. One is product, which is you've got 100 different industries total to choose from. We're going to make product decisions to really try to appeal to this one, whichever one we pick. There are probably five or 10 other industries that just coincidentally want the same changes. Like travel agents really want uh, PCI compliance and invoicing. I bet there's another industry out there that's the same. That's one way to build momentum. Another one is that there's actual similarities in terms of brand recognition and stuff. So an example of that, a lot of people who sell insurance also sell financial services and vice versa. So if we went after one of those, probably the pin falls over and hits the other one. Yeah, does exactly. Those, does that sound right to you? Yeah, the, yeah, totally. I like I like your calling out the product um, benefits. Like you build one product for one segment, it tr it's also built for the next segment. Um, yeah, I who, what you, the, the slang term is who do they hang out with? You, if, who do travel agents hang out with that's another segment? that if you get travel agents, you're going to be lead, bleeding into, I don't know who they hang out with. I have no, no idea what travel agents do. So we're, we've been, we've more or less mostly committed to travel agents here. So we've been doing research on this and I know the answer here, which is apparently the preferred term is not travel agent. It's the travel industry, which is made up of travel agents, tour organizers. There's, uh, there's like, we made a list of like 10 ways that people self-identified. So what we were thinking is maybe we start with agents and agencies. And then once we have that, maybe tour organizers, and I, there are a bunch of others that I'm not remembering right now. Yeah. So your, your larger segment here is the tourism or sorry, travel, travel industry. industry. And yeah. then you've got some, a bowling pin strategy for taking over that within that industry for taking over that industry. That's interesting. Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't know the bowling pin analogy, but it's, it's consistent with what we've been thinking. I just didn't yeah. have that framework for it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the, the, you know, the one thing that, that I would caution or just call out is, um, one thing that I wasn't very thoughtful of at people keep when I was designing some of these segments and I never got to really good execution here. It's extremely hard in a very small business because you can't spend money. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, but, but it's the right move if you can afford it. Um, so, uh, one is don't pick a segment that's too big. Mm -hmm. Like the, the smaller you feel comfortable going where you can prove this out and go own it and whatever owning it is 50% of them of that market segment, the better. Okay. Cause then you can repeat it more quickly. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that with one exception, which is I think if an industry or a segment is too small, they don't have a center of mass to gather around. So some of the ones we were eyeing, it's like they don't have any trade shows. It's just that's not a thing. And so it's like not that trade shows are the only way to do this, but there aren't podcasts about it. Like, how are we going to actually reach those people? Well, one example of this, uh, maybe rather than going specifically by like role type thing, would be thinking about travel agents in Missouri. Mm -hmm. and, and, okay. and, and saying, we're going to go get travel agents in Missouri, and then we're going to go get 
tourism people in Missouri. And once we've nailed all the people in Missouri, then we'll do, we'll run that same playbook in what's their neighboring Indiana. No, Missouri. No, nope. it's not, okay, it's not neighboring. Missouri Wait, borders Kentucky? more states than any other state in the country. Kentucky? <laughs> yes. Kentucky <laughs> <does>. <laughs> so, I think nine states border Missouri. Yeah. That's your trivia for the day. <laughs> yeah. So like the, the idea is like get, uh, get the segment small enough or, or, but, but more importantly, maybe repeatable enough that, um, it can be duplicated. It's, you know, a hundred times once you figure out the recipe. That makes sense. And it doesn't have to be location, but the point is niche it down in by different dimensions to make it approachable and repeatable. Yeah. And then, uh, the other thing is go after growing segments, not declining segments. So this is the one area where I'm going to fight you on this one. (laughs) Oh, I, I, I just, you know, I, this is ideally if you can win a a market segment and it's growing, then your business grows with the segment. Um, it's not always the case that that's going to be, but it's better to win a segment that's growing than it is to be declining. But anyway, um, that's all I wanted to say on that. No. Yeah. So I, I agree with you all else being equal. It's better. I think it's probably harder. Um, it's like there's the concept of trends and doing something that's sexy. And I think generally speaking, if you're, uh, if you find it fun and rewarding to do something that's unsexy, that's, there's almost always more opportunity there, whether, whether it's growing or shrinking or whatever. One thing we, we actually were discussing this with travel agents specifically, the, your immediate reaction is who still uses a travel agent in this day and age, right? I bet you don't. I don't. I've never have in my life. Um, but then we were thinking about what are other industries that we already have momentum built up in? They are all ones that I would be pretty worried about in a recession or just generally. So one one example being financial planning. I think financial planners are going to get hit hard by passive investing and things like that. Real estate, I think technology is going to re- eliminate a lot of real estate jobs probably. So one thing we actually liked about the travel agent, the travel industry, is it has already been decimated. It's not declining; it is declined. Do you but believe? St- wait, do you believe that it's it's like hit a rock bottom at this point? I think so. So when we, I, I don't want to act like I'm an expert on any of these industries, but when but we you talk need to, to be, but but that's uh, well, stay we're, there. we're trying to become. You have to become right. That's right. key. But I'm not yet. Yeah. But no, we, I mean, we've, we have hundreds of travel agent clients and I've talked to many of them myself. Um, the impression I get is the ones who, the, the, the reason you think travel agents are a declining industry is because like Expedia.com and sites like that are putting them out of business. All of those people are already gone. Um, th- 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 that story happened 10, 15 years ago. The travel agents who still exist are doing something that I don't think technology particularly threatens. One example of this is apparently if you want to go to Disney, like Disney World or a Disney Cruise or something, you just have to have a travel agent apparently. Um, and it's not a technological thing. It's not that no one's come along. It's like Disney pretty much enforces this. Um, there are a lot of things like that. And, and so when you talk to travel agents now, they actually seem to have really stable, secure businesses if they made it this far. It's kind of like survival of the fittest. and the people who survived the travel agent apocalypse from 10 years ago, the impression I get is they've got pretty good businesses these days. Cool. It's probably not growing though, to be fair. Yeah, sure. That, that's made me, that makes me feel a lot better than when I originally, when you said travel agents, I honestly was like, oh my gosh, like this sounds like a disaster. Yeah. It sounds but like no, a joke, but yeah. there's like a hundred thousand of them or something out there. Yeah. I, I mean, if you, I would be worried if you looked out 10 years and you saw that number declining, um, I would probably be worried about it. But if you think it's steady or even slightly growing, awesome. Yeah, that's my impression. Yeah. One takeaway I don't want to forget is you got to know when you pick a segment, you got to be willing to become an expert on that segment and know it. Whoever's leading the channel. Yeah. Agreed. Although something we, I think, came close to falling into a trap that you can take that too far, which is to say, how do you, in order to pick the right segment, do you have to become an expert on everything? And um, we've been toying with this idea for a couple months now. And I think on our end, it was tempting to be like, well, let's go explore all these other ones and spend more time. I'm of the opinion it's better to try it, 
once you pick an industry, you have to become an expert, but it's better to just try it and fail and switch to a different one than to try and make the perfect decision right away. Yeah. And I would, yeah, you're absolutely right to, to maybe restate. It would be, you have to, you have to get educated enough about your customer in that segment where you can make some really good assumptions. But once you make your assumptions and you feel like you're educated on them, the only thing you can do is go try stuff to see if the assumptions hold. Any more thinking is a waste of time. Yeah. And I think you said something earlier that mitigates this too, which is you said you need to already have momentum. So one reason why I feel really confident with travel agents is we have a lot of them already. Uh, someone started a travel agents for using Less Annoying Serum Facebook group that has like 400 people in it. We've gone to travel agent trade shows uh, years ago, but we have we have enough validation to be like, I don't know if this is going to work as well as I hope it does, but it's not going to totally flop. I feel pretty confident about that. I think, I mean, I just want to step back and say, I think this is the right direction. I, I believe in this type of go-to-market strategy so much that this is how I'm building leg up health from the very beginning. I'm limiting myself to Utah as a market mm-hmm. segment. This business applies to all of the US, even could be applied to Canada um, and other English-speaking countries um, with universal healthcare. It So it's it could be a global company. I'm saying Utah only, and I I ain't changing that no matter how many people from other states request access. Okay. Yeah. Um, and th- within that, I'm even going, I'm not focused on just anyone who buys health insurance. I'm focused on workers who buy their own health insurance. And I'm not just focused on any workers. I'm focused on workers who maintain long-time employment. So I'm looking at a few niches right off the bat. Startup employees, dentists, employees of dentist offices, hairstylists, massage therapists. These are all very specific. When you when you say Utah, massage therapist, working, who buys their own health insurance, that gets pretty specific. Mm-hmm. And they all hang out together. Yeah. Well, and, and something I'm coming around to, we're, it's not like we're going to stop selling to, we, we, we're still going to boil the ocean in the sense like we, we have a business, we're not going to throw it away. But if we are currently selling to 100 industries, we should be talking to each industry individually rather than giving them all the same ad copy, the same homepage. Like even if you're not able to focus, you can still focus your messaging and then bring everyone into the same product or whatever. And I want to differentiate between two things right now because both are good to do. One, I think when you you talk about getting more efficient with your current channels, talking specific to industries can increase conversions from existing sources, right? So like one thing you can do with industry specific focus um, or, or segment specific focus or, you know, customer profile specific focus is get, a couple more percentage points on a conversion because you're more familiar. What you're talking about with travel agents is something that I think is a slightly different mm-hmm. focus, which is let's go figure out a levered approach to customer acquisition so that we can control the top of the funnel and execute plays that result in a dollar turning into a dollar plus. And I think that uh, boiling the ocean is always a great strategy as a, as a, Second, you know, as a second option to controllable growth. When you don't have controllable growth and you're boy in the ocean, this is where I was at People Keep. This is where you are at Listening Serum. It does create some anxiety around future growth. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if you I don't were control your, your own destiny, right? Yeah. If I was in your bucket, I'd be willing to spend. Here's a question for you How much money are you willing to spend to, to figure travel agents out or fail doing so? exhaust the possibility that it can be figured out. Yeah. So the constraint here is how much money we have. If if I were the type of company that went and raised money, um, all of it, basically, like maybe you, you realize this will work, but I need to pivot which industry it is. But we, if you'd raise, if we'd raised money, we need to figure out a way, like you said, to execute plays right now, we're just sitting here waiting for people to come to us. And we, that doesn't work for a funded company. Having said that, we're, we're we're living with with the reality that we're not funded, and so it's how much money can we have? We just kind of set aside tentatively. Let's try to do a big thing like a trade show every three months 
for a year. Um, and let's call it five to $10,000 each. And then let's also run, basically spend as much on ads as we can. It's small enough of an industry. I think we're going to be able to like cap out the volume there pretty cheaply. Um, and then the big spend isn't money. It's Eunice on our team is going to lead this with help from me and Alex, who does business development. And we've what I've decided is three of our four software engineers are going to be backup. And what I mean by that is not necessarily that they're going to build stuff that will only be helpful to travel agents, but we're going to, I'm actually, one of the most exciting things about this to me, if I can, can I go on a little segue here for a love second? It. Yeah, love it. So I'm the product person here. My job is to set the product vision. In the past, we've had big, ambitious things to work on. We just launched this redesign that we did. I worked on Sparse for a while, which is that chat app that we ended up not not falling through on. When you have a big vision like that, it's really easy to to make product decisions because like you know who it's for. It's for me. I have a workflow I want to support. Recently, we decided we're going to spend this year just improving less annoying CRM, like iteratively. And I didn't realize it until very recently. I had completely lost all vision for the product. Because it's like there's a hundred different ideas. Some people want tasks. Some people want better email logging. But there's no story behind it. There's no narrative. There's no vision. So what I'm really excited about with this industry thing is we can say, okay, if it's travel agents, what is their workflow? What do they need? Oh, collecting money via invoicing and then credit card payments is really important to them. That's important to all our other customers too, right? I'm not saying only building stuff for travel agents, but it'll give us an actual vision to say, you know, over the span of this year, we actually enabled new workflows. We didn't just make features better. We solved problems. I have way more of a sense of purpose with product now that we've picked an industry to focus on. So we're going to put three developers behind that. Yeah. So you're kind of looking at this as you can throw money at marketing, you can throw money at biz dev, you could throw money at uh, trade shows and travel, and you can throw money, you can allocate product development resources to growing the share of market. Yeah. Um, that, I think that's great. So one thing I want to just, I think that's important to call out. When I was early on at People Keep with marketing, I was very cautious to spend money because I never had enough money. And I was always like paycheck to paycheck. Like I never went, well, it was never paycheck to paycheck, but it was, I invested the mu- mu- the money we had left over, which oftentimes was going towards more salespeople, more, you know, it wasn't going towards our strategic target segment. It was going towards just growing and responding mm-hmm. to nascent demand. You're making the right decision. If, if you're out there thinking about target going targeted like this and developing plays, it's the right decision. But what will fall, what, what will get you in trouble is trying to worry too much about profitability and growth early on. It's much more important to get control of the plays, what, however much money it costs, mm-hmm. without going out of business, of course, before you worry about optimizing it and before you really worry about pulling the lever. And so, you know, I think, uh, you know, this is great, but it, you can waste a lot of time and energy if you're trying to be too perfect around efficiency or trying to grow too early. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, if I know you don't listen to as many of these podcasts as I do, but if you do or you, you know, follow people on Twitter and stuff, they say things like you need a two to three month payback period in, on your investment or else don't do it and stuff like that. First of all, I'm skeptical any business actually has that. That seems like bullshit to me. But yeah, in the early days of less knowing CRM, we were spending $1,000 to acquire a customer. And it's just like, well, you got to do something. And I, I, I realized this is what you were asking with your question. I kind of got off topic, but I'm definitely taking that attitude here. And I appreciate the, you reinforcing this, that I, what, what I want is this. Three years from now, I want this to have worked. My guess is in order to do that one year from now, it has to at best be break even, but quite possibly a loser over that time period. The, the success here is failing definitively to make this work or succeeding no matter how much it costs. And then it's like, okay, well, now we've got something that works. What, why, how do we make this profitable? It doesn't matter how much it costs. Like it, you have to figure this out. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there are so many, when you do something the first time, you can probably cut 
or you can double efficiency, whether it's your time efficiency, the money you're spending, you can double it in five different ways. So even if right now it looks like your investment isn't ever going to work, there's so many ways to improve it. Yes. Or you could say, oh, you know what? We learned that this market's the wrong market, but this, but we learned some stuff that we, if we apply in this other situation, we have better assumptions around a different market segment, different plays that we could create and you iterate. So getting to the definitive, this isn't going to work because we can't make it profitable or we can't get control. We can't spend enough money or, Hey, it's working, but it's not, I, it's not efficient enough. Let's work on efficiency. I think that's, yeah. that's when. Now let me, you could, someone could misinterpret this and like do what we work did or be, be like, we're just going to light mountains of cash on fire. I think what you, if I understand you, you're not saying start scaling it without profitability. You're saying do it at a small scale and prove that it can work, then optimize it to get it profitable and then start pouring more money on it to scale it. Does that sound right to you? Yes. And I would just caution small scale, do it at a full scale in a small, in the smallest possible segment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you don't, you can't be cheap here. You can't say, oh, I don't want to spend on that ad. I don't want to go to that trade show. You have to just go for it and you do it in a small you know, a, a segment as possible and it, it either will work or it won't. And you can't really just like, this isn't a, this isn't a bullet, a single bullet. You can, you can just pull and be precise. This is a machine. You have to shoot a machine gun <laughs> and then see what happens. And, uh, if you, if you pull, pull punches, if you pull, if you pull, if you don't pull the trigger down and you get a little bit antsy halfway through it, all the money you spent, all the bullets you shot before may not give you the data that you need. Now, let me ask you this. I totally agree. I buy that completely. A question that a couple of people have asked me, because I, I basically gave the company presentation and did a deep dive on this. And a couple of people have asked me, well, how much money will we spend? How will we decide? Like what you said is, if it's not working, that's great because you know to stop. How do you evaluate, is it not working because it's not going to work or is it not working because we haven't pulled the trigger down hard enough yet? Yeah. So that's a good question. The way I would think about this is hypothetical for me because I haven't spent, I need to be disclaimer. This is completely strategic, hypothetical. Like I'm not where you are. I'm not mm. the one writing the checks. When you start writing checks on this stuff, it gets way more scary. I was scared to do this at People Keep because it, it did put the company, it would have put the company at risk. So that's a caveat that I'll say. Now I wanted to raise money to go do this. Yeah. Okay. So that that's a different story. So um I would want to know within the segment, what are all the things that we could do to make that segment aware? And I'd want to be able to do just about all of them. I'm talking radio ads, I'm talking the whole gamut of of, mm -hmm. of mediums. And if, if the, if I wasn't able to do that, my solution to that would probably be to shrink the segment. Okay. So let's say you do that. How long do you wait? And I realize there's not going to be an answer. It's not going to be like three months, but we're going to mm. try to blanket this pretty well. But if it's not, I don't expect it to work a month in. What's your sales How long cycle? do you wait? Well, the thing is, we've never really sold. Like, we only know once someone hits our site with existing interest. In that case, it's very quick. They sign up for a free trial. Thirty days later, they pay us. I don't know what the full buying journey is. Yeah, I think um, you should before you spend all this money have a pretty solid assumption around what the travel agent journey is. So, what causes a travel agent to go look for a CRM? How long it takes them to evaluate it? And really understand like what the triggers are, um, because if you're if you don't understand those, you're not going to be able to know where to be. Um, how do you how do you figure out that stuff? I've never customer done interviews. Like that. It's all customer interviews. You okay. got to go talk. We're doing to a lot of those, right? Yeah. Now. So yeah. You, um, you start with like I'm building this for Leg Up Health right now. I'm going okay. Why did they go buy health insurance? Why? How, how often have they switched plans? You know, what were the triggers that made them do that? Most of the time, it's switching jobs, right? So, it, it you know it's a, an employment change or a move to a different to a different state. So for you, you're going to have those triggers, and those triggers are going. 
are going to cause people to go to certain places. Um, and what you want them to do when they have, there's two things you want to do. One is you want to be there when they get found for that segment. Mm-hmm. You want to be there when, when they go searching based on those triggers, which is more of the discovery phase. But you also with this want to have them be aware of less than CRM when they go on that journey, which is the other side of this so that they're not going to search in. So that's, I would, I would be focused on shrinking the segment to get to high confidence that people are going to know, be aware, which I think is seven, like how many times it take it to get the message seven times. Is that the, the I'm sure number? it depends, but I, that sounds like what I've heard before. Yeah. Yeah. And man, I don't know anything about this type of marketing. I would hire, if I were in your shoes, I would like, I would either just be making really good assumptions based on talking to customers and, and going after it, or I would, uh, hire someone who has experience as a consultant or something. Yeah. One advantage we have relative to, if someone's listening to this and thinking I'm starting a new business and this is how I'm going to go to market. One advantage we have is a lot of existing customers. We, we know kind of a baseline. It's, it's we're not going to get nothing from this. It's a matter of, will it be successful enough? So I think I can be a little faster and looser than someone else might be able to, but yeah, I hear you. Um, yeah, I have one more question, but the only thing I'd say is there's probably a playbook. I I'm speaking in a lot of uh, what I would call imprecise words right now, and because it's because I don't feel comfortable telling you exactly what to do. I, I there are other people who have done this before who've written about it, and it might be worth reviewing some of the playbooks that they've written. Um, I don't. Crossing the chasms, like the high level strategy, but it'd be interesting to see the tactical explanation of this uh, from someone at a similar company. A good one. It's not about this industry specific thing, but the book Traction, there's two books called Traction. One is the entrepreneurial operating system, not that one. There's a different book called Traction that's basically just like, I think it's 21, the 21 normal ways to get customers or something like that. Um, I assume blanketing the market, the industry, like you're saying, is going to just be a combination of all of those things. Within a very targeted segment. Within yes. a, yeah, because it's like, try email marketing, try PR, try you know cold calling. You want to do them all. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that makes sense. Try, do customer interviews. Talk to, like, try and c- form a hypothesis about what the buying journey is. Use that to inform how are we going to evaluate if this is working or not. Um, one question I've got for you, travel agents are a somewhat unique industry because most of them are affiliated with an agency. They're not necessarily, I, I'll admit other people at my company know more about this than me. So what I might, what I'm about to say might be a little off, but they're not, I think like employees of the agency. It's just more like a little mini association sort of. Um, some agencies provide CRMs to all of their agents. Some of them only provide it to their top agents or a lot of them just recommend tools to everybody. Uh, the the biggest win we could have here would be to go out and get a 1,000 or 5,000 person agency instead of selling 1,000 individual people. But what I'm not sure of is if that's like realistic until, like if we need a lot more credibility in the industry before we start worrying about that. Would you go after that bigger enterprise type sale initially, or would you take a different tact? Man, it feels like you have enough traction and travel agents to feel pretty confident on your ability to promise value and over deliver. Um, I would be going after this segment via every. I'd be I'd be going after the segment as hard as I could, and that includes what I would call closing referral relationships or larger contract relationships with tra- larger travel agencies and um, and associations, I would be hitting them on the biz dev front pretty hard. Yeah. Okay. You wouldn't worry that like we're wasting our shot and we should get a little more established before trying that because we can just always go back and try again later. I, I mean, for, for me, the, the, the way I look at this push is this is a true, let's go win the market segment, no matter how much it costs. And that means we're you got to do it all. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I'm saying that with out without any base whatsoever, completely gut. But like, it feels like this is a the worst thing you could do is pull punches. Like, yeah, we have to to some extent. We don't ha- we we have one basically one full time person 
plus the developers to do this. Mm -hmm. And it would be very, very hard to get more time put towards this. So maybe, maybe the answer. So yeah, I guess if resources are unlimited, I'd be doing it all. Yeah. You have limited resources. I guess you got to make some assumptions around what's most likely to succeed and then start, you know, doing the, you know, try, try, try some things and see if they work and then abandon if they don't. Um, and then it, you know, tried some different things, but you'd have but to you make, don't see you have to any harm in like trying. If there's an agency, you don't see any harm in trying to sell them right now. Understanding nine months from now, our product will be a lot more appealing to them because we haven't built any of this stuff yet. Yeah, but I would. You sell don't think that. like we're gonna? I, I mean, I, if I were reaching out to them right now, a thousand person travel agency is going to take nine months to sell. sell. Yeah, like you got like I'm selling what the product's going to be when when they sign up. I'm selling a vision. I'm selling that we're going to be the number one travel you know provider of CRMs for travel agents in the world. Um, I'm selling, I'm selling the segment. And so the only reason I wouldn't do that is if it took away from some other effort that you think is more important for proving out your segment strategy. Okay. So we need to prioritize our time and make sure we're putting it towards the highest impact, the thing that we think is highest impact, but there's no reason to hold back on any particular idea because we're not like mature enough basically because when we're talking to them, we're going to sell where we will be in a year, not where we are now. You are ready to go dominant. Like this has to be the mentality for everyone at your company that's involved with this. We are going to go be number one in this segment. If you're not going to act like that, do not go after this strategy. <laughs> yeah. And I yeah, think and so, we can. So, and that means that you're mature for everything. You're, you're, yeah. you're good for everything. The only question that you're maybe keeping internally is we can't do it all. Which ones do we want to say no to right now? Okay. Great. This has, this I think that's the the big takeaway for me is like this requires some you know machoism around we are the we are going to we are number 1 for you in this segment. Yeah. I totally agree and that's I mean that's how I feel honestly. I think w- w- the way we're lacking relative to other competition is that they are more specialized than we are. Mm-hmm. But we have a much much more solid foundation like We've got better general purpose CRM features. We'll go add some of these travel agent specific things and then they're not going to, and we're also like way cheaper than them and have better customer service. I think this will be a piece of cake once we just give ourselves time to build this stuff. So I think we can pull off the, uh, we're going to dominate attitude here because it's, it's true, I think. Yeah. And, and even if it's not, if you do, if you start without that attitude, you're failing from the start, yeah. the starting line. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> That's what it takes to win this. <laughs> cool. No, I'm, I'm excited. This, uh, I appreciate all your thoughts here. I think uh, we covered so much stuff, so I'm going to need to go back and unpack all this. But a couple of my takeaways here, this is doable. Our basic idea, our da- basic plan here can be tweaked in ways you've suggested to make it more effective, but we're not like off course here. And what we basically just need to do is commit to it, devote all the resources we can. The The constraint of bootstrapping is you can't, you know, burn as like unlimited money, but don't pull punches. I think that's the right term. If we can throw a punch, we should throw it. If we don't have a person, like if, if we don't have the resources, then that, that is what it is. Um, and give it a long time. I think we'll probably give this at least through the rest of the year before we even start at all saying, okay, this needs to start justifying the effort we're putting in. And I, I think that defining success as giving it our very best shot and failing is a win. Yeah. Like su- success here is not winning the market. Success is doing the very best we can, not holding any punches and, and seeing what happens. Mm-hmm. And it, cool. wor- worst case, you're going to know, man, we, we know what we are and we can act with, you know, that in mind going forward. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm definitely going to send this to Eunice. <laughs> She'll <laughs> cool. have fun listening to this. <laughs> Hello, Eunice. Goodbye, Eunice. Um, <laughs> um Anything Great. else? No, I I think that's it. Okay, before you do the sign off, can I ask one question to potential listeners? Um, so in the, in recent episodes, I feel like we've gone longer on the intro because we've got different things to talk about. Something interesting comes up. Originally, we tried to spend ten minutes on the intro and then move on. I think today it was more like twenty five minutes. I'd be interested to hear if that is helpful or if everyone's just sitting there like bored and waiting for us to get to the real topic. So if you have a thought on that, let us know. I'm Tyler M. King on Twitter or go to our website, Startup to Last, and you can find our contact info there, startuptolast.com. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's something. Um, my I know my wife Sable says it's horribly boring. <laughs> so, <laughs> but the other podcasts like this that I listen to are only the updates. So I don't know. Yeah, I I get a lot of value out of it. Um, but yeah, we definitely don't want to bore. We could do that off. Yeah, we could do that before we we start the podcast if people don't find it interesting. So yeah, love to love to hear about that. All right, everyone, thank you for listening. If you like this episode. I have two favors to ask. First, please write a review on the podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. Second, if you know any founders or aspiring founders of independent startups, please tell them about Startup to Last. And if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuptolast.com. Tyler, I'll see you next week. See you next week.